Welcome to the Kuhei. In this episode, I'm chatting with Captain Thomas Brayton, a 1991 graduate from Avenel, New Jersey, hailing from the 21st Company, also known as Playboy 21. After the Naval Academy, Thomas served for 27 years in the fleet as a helicopter pilot, deploying three times to the Arabian Gulf, once with HSL-43 Battle Cats and twice with HSL-45 Wolfpack. I asked Thomas to summarize his nearly three-decade career on the tip of the spear, and he creatively did so by ranking his top three tours in reverse order. Since the Olympics are underway, I thought it would be good to assign each a corresponding medal. Believe it or not, despite the squadron's fantastic performance and safety record, his third best tour, or the bronze medal winner, was as the commanding officer of HSM-41, the Seahawks. Taking the silver medal was a tour as squadron maintenance officer. Why does he finally rank this tour in second place? Because according to Thomas, he and his capable team of maintenance experts created a culture of inclusion and excellence. He and his team's efforts transformed the maintenance organization from worst to first on the San Diego seawall. Winning the gold medal was his tour as a lieutenant on the Office of Chief of Naval Operations, or OPNAV staff, where he was a VIP escort and foreign liaison officer charged with escorting visiting foreign delegations across the United States as guests of the Chief of Naval Operations and Secretary of Defense. This OPNAV tour takes the gold not only because Thomas loved what he was doing, but also because it's where he met the love of his life, his Australian wife, whom he's been married to for 20 years. From his perspective, the world doesn't end at the shoreline of the United States. Thomas is an international man focused on generating greater cooperation among the global community. After retiring from the U.S. Navy, he and his family embarked on an international adventure with stops in Jakarta, Indonesia, and now Naples, Italy, where he and his wife are senior government service employees working to improve U.S. alliances with North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO members, and African nations, respectively. As he describes it, it's all about good people doing great things on a global scale. Thomas is joining us today to give us the guhay on all the do's and don'ts for transitioning from an active duty military career to a second career in government service. Let's get Thomas aboard properly with all the appropriate honors due a retired Navy captain. Captain Thomas Braden, retired, 91, arriving. Thomas Braden, Welcome to the Guhei. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, William. Excellent, excellent. Thomas, uh, I'm going to jump right in. You published a book titled, I quote, A Veteran's Guide to Transition, Active Duty to Government Service, end quote. My understanding it's available on Amazon, both in hardback and on Kindle for download. Is that correct? That is correct. It's a meager $3.99 if you want to get it on Amazon. Or you can get Amazon Kindle and download it for, I think, about a dollar or free if you have Kindle Unlimited, and you can get a free trial of that. So essentially, I'm giving this information away because I want to help other veterans. Absolutely. That's what I heard. I took a brief read of it. It's a lot of information for very few dollars. What inspired you to write the book? I've been living vicariously through my wife's 10 plus year career as a Navy civilian. We've watched many of her trials and tribulations, and I thought she was now taking the lead as I retired from the Navy in 2018, and I followed her on her assignment to Jakarta, Indonesia. It was great, fantastic experience, great exposure for the family, did something I had always wanted to do in the Navy, which was be assigned to an embassy. I was fortunate enough to be hired there for USAID as a contractor, 
And we had a fantastic experience until COVID hit. COVID had us sent back to Washington, D.C. While we were back in Washington, D.C., I thought, well, maybe I should start using some of those veterans benefits that I'd heard so much about and apply for a government job myself and start a second career as a government civilian, GS employee. I started looking and applying for positions. As I got further down that path of applying for positions, I could find little bits and information here and there, what we might call gouge if you talk to an old classmate, or guhei to stick with the theme of the day. But nowhere was it ever codified anywhere. There was not one book. Believe me, I would have rather bought a book than written a book, but it just didn't exist. I started writing down sort of the lessons that I was learning, some of the pain points that we were living through. It actually started as an angry email to someone, and I'm not certain to whom. (laughs) And then I shared them with a friend. He said, oh, this is great stuff. You should put it in a book. And here we are today. Did you work with someone to learn how to write a book? How did you just become an author? That's a great question. Essentially, I started hammering out my thoughts on paper. Then I started researching them and said, well, that's how it went. And here's how I thought it should go. But what do the rules and regulations and most importantly, OPM, the Office of Personnel Management, how do they say it should go? So I started looking at the old source documents so that you got a solid reference. Then I looked at Amazon for self-publishing as I started getting further down that path. Really? I did what all of the millennials do. I hired out. I went on Fiverr.com, which is a website, and I hired a young lady in Pakistan to put it in proper format so I could upload it to Amazon. She did a wonderful job. Wow. A learning experience for me about these new uh, outsourcing skills and techniques that you can hire online for pennies on the dollar. There you go. The gig economy is what they call it. Yes, the gig economy. There you go. In the book's introduction, you say, and I quote, this book is a compilation of the recommendations and lessons you learned in your year-long experience transitioning to government service, end quote. In short, just as you put it, you're giving us the gouge or the guhei on the do's and don'ts so that we all benefit from it. I want to encourage everyone to get the book. I'm not going to give anything away on that. It's a good read. But as a primer, could you give us your top five best practices to implement and your top five pitfalls to avoid for anyone interested in transitioning to government service? Great question. Thank you for asking. The first thing I would tell everybody is relax. If you were successful enough to complete your military service, whether that's a first term enlistment, or if you stayed for a career, or if you're an officer, you've already made it through the hardest part transitioning out will be difficult. It will be unusual. It may even be painful, but relax. You will make it through just like you've made it through your military service. The second part I would tell people is reach out to your friends. Look at the guys and gals who transitioned ahead of you. They're the same knuckleheads who went through the service ahead of you. They're no smarter. They're no brighter. They didn't get any breaks that you couldn't get, but ask them, get their top five, reach out and get help because it is available to you from your shipmates, from your squadron mates, people you meet on LinkedIn, like I met you on LinkedIn and here we are today. Reach out and start what you're really going to need to do for that transition piece of finding your next job. Network, 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 and turn over every stone you possibly can. Do some informational interviews. Learn what's out there because whether you spent four years in the service or 40 years in the service, you have no idea 
what is really waiting for you at the end of this dark tunnel that can be transitioning. Then I'd say that if you're considering joining the federal civil service by the book, if you're looking on usajobs.com for positions, there's some tricks of the trade. I would also recommend Catherine Troutman, an excellent book. She just won an award for it. It's about writing your federal resume. Your federal resume to put on USA Jobs is not your normal resume. It's nothing like the two-pager that you're used to seeing. Mine, I believe, is 18 pages after 27 years of service. It just adds up when you fill out the federal resume. The number four would be some of the things you may have heard about veterans' preference are probably not true. If you retire at the pay grade of 04 or better and you have a pension, you do not get veterans' preference for hiring. If you get a first-term enlistment and serve four years and get out, you will probably get veterans' preference for hiring. There are also three different levels of veterans' preference. Really? Do you get zero points veteran preference, five points, or 10 points? It's all in the book. Don't automatically assume, I'm a veteran, I get veterans' preference. There was a previous waiver to this rule that expired, and the waiver was in place following September 11th. Number five, in order to ensure you would get veterans preference for hiring, I suggest you do your VA disability claim prior to departing the service and immediately after your departure from service. You should get your medical records, get them transcribed into the veterans administration format, submit them and run through their paperwork. They'll ask you to complete a couple of physicals and make sure that any ailments, pain, scars, anything else you have are well documented so that the VA takes responsibility for those things that they've now left you with. If they're happy enough to pay you for it, that's tax-free money for life, you should be happy enough to take it. And if you're well enough off and you don't really want the government's money anymore, donate it to some charity or your children. Thomas, you hit on something that is likely to be a future episode, which is around service-connected disability. I just wanted to comment on that point particularly for Naval Academy graduates, or I'll just say Service Academy graduates, if any of them are listening, keep in mind that if you played a sport at Navy and you injured yourself, I injured my neck, I broke a thumb while playing football, all of those are service-connected disabilities. All of those count when you go to report your injuries. Don't discount the things that occurred to you if you were a recruited athlete or you were a walk-on like me and you played a varsity sport at Navy. Just wanted to chunk that one in. No, absolutely. And uh, I didn't know that about you, but I also, 2003, broke my neck. And uh, it was amazing when you go through this process. It was a life-changing surgery, a life-changing event in my family's life. Um, anyway, it's, it can be emotional. I'm sorry. Yeah. No worries. The Navy fixed me and made me right as rain. Fantastic. But when you go to file your VA disability, I think I received 10% for that life-changing event. Wow. And then 10% for a scar you can't even see. Right. Whatever it is that the Navy left you with, physical, mental, or other scarring, my suggestion is like yours, William, go and have it documented because 5, 10, 25, 50 years from now, you don't know what's going to act up. And you want to have it well documented so that the VA will help you, particularly with the rising cost of healthcare. Or if you go out and choose an alternate career that's maybe an airline pilot or somebody else, and they determine that these things are pre-existing conditions, you just want to have all of that stuff documented and taken care of, 
you earned it. They're your benefits. Getting your VA disability rating is what will allow you to have veterans hiring preference when you apply for federal jobs and many state jobs as well. Pitfalls. The number one pitfall, do not, do not, do not, do not retire from overseas. Do not separate from the service while serving overseas. You want to ensure that you are stamped out, that you have been departing from the service in the United States preferably the continental United States. And you'd say, well, why is that? In the government's infinite wisdom, they offer many recruitment incentives to hire people to take overseas positions. Some of those recruitment incentives include they'll pay for your housing when you live overseas. They'll pay to put your children in either a private or a DOD school, and they'll help you with car registration, licensing, all of those different types of services. But if you retire from overseas, and I know several people who had this happen, even though they retired in one country and then took a civilian job in another country, they say, well, you retired from overseas, so you like living overseas, so we do not need to incentivize you to live overseas. We will offer you this position with just base salary, no housing, no school for your children, no assistance in finding housing and buying a car and registering a car and doing all of those things. Do not retire from overseas. That's good stuff. Second, don't assume that because you're working for the federal government or you're going to apply for the job with the federal government, that they are so rigid with their rules that you can't ask for additional pay or leave or other benefits. The case in point here is you can't apply for a GS-13 job and try to get GS-15 pay. GS-15 is the highest of the federal civil service categories. But if you apply for a GS-13 job, and they accept you and you're offered the position, you have a small window where you can say, the education requirement on this position only required a bachelor's degree, but I happen to have a master's degree that's a superior qualification. And that's just a very short snapshot where you can apply to the government and say, I have superior qualifications beyond what this position has stated as the minimum. You can request, I spell this all out in the book. I even tell you how to write and format your request, but you can request from the government a step one or two or even three step increase. If you get beyond the three step increase, it gets exponentially harder and you might not really want to go that way. If you really think you deserve that much more, you should probably be looking for a well suited position for your background. Avoid this pitfall. If you forget, to ask for additional leave based on your previous service. Once that window has closed and you're hired, you can never go back and open that window again. There's a limited time in the hiring process when you should ask for it. I spell it out in the book. It is called enhanced leave. You have to request enhanced leave consideration. You fill out a couple forms, you write them a letter. They go back and they look at your specific experience. And if your specific experience relates to the position they're hiring, they can offer you essentially leave credit for those years of experience. For example, I was going to be hired as a GS 14 step one. I went and said I had some superior qualifications and I fought for that and I was offered a GS 13 step three. I got whatever the difference is, a couple of thousand dollars more a year. Same on the leave. I went back and said, I have done jobs that are similar to this in my military history. I would like credit for those in my leave balance. They gave me eight years and five months of leave credit. 
which means when I start, instead of earning four days a pay period, I earn six days a pay period. It essentially means an extra two weeks of leave a year that if you don't know to ask for, you'll never get. Even when I asked for it, the hiring manager said, oh, I should have asked for that. He went back to HR and said, can I ask for that? And they said, nope, it's too late. And then the last one is actually not even a request. It's an entitlement. It's called disabled veterans leave. Back to your VA disability rating, if you've got a VA disability rating of 30% or more, then the federal government says as you get hired as a federal civil servant, you should be given some first year leave, 104 hours. It's an odd amount, but it essentially works out to a half a day every other week. That time is specific for you to follow up on medical, dental, any of your service-connected issues that you need to take care of. It's called disabled veterans leave, and you should ask for that as well. Very nice. You're in Naples, Italy, right? Yes, sir. Living the life. Bella Napoli. Fun fact, I was born in Naples, Italy. I lived there until I was two. My dad was in the Navy, stationed there. I had an Italian citizenship until I was 14. I was eligible to be recalled to the Italian Navy. Fortunately, that did not happen. What the Italian government has decreed now is if you ever held a citizenship in Italy, you can go back, stay there for a couple of years, learn the language, and reclaim your citizenship. I might just do that. May go get one of those one euro houses that they're trying to give away (laughs) in the countryside of Italy. I'd love the Italian language. I would love to be able to do that. Now, why did you choose Naples, Italy as an assignment? I was fortunate enough to serve here for a couple of years while on active duty. In fact, this is where my wife started her federal civil servant career. I was a helicopter pilot and post command, I went to the NATO Defense College in Rome, Italy where I tested many things, including the capacity of my liver, but that's a different story. (laughs) At the end, I was supposed to take orders to go to Germany. In a very strange way, I get a phone call from a lady here in Naples and said, Mr., all of your stuff has shown up here. Where would you like me to send it? We were living in an 800 square foot little furnished flat in Rome. I said, don't send it here. I called my detailer and he says, yeah, about that position in Germany. What do you think about Naples? We came down to Naples and essentially fell in love with it. It's a beautiful town, the Italian culture, the language, which I was learning at NATO Defense College. My wife picks up languages very well. She's already fluent. We came down to Naples, saw the ocean and said, why would we go anywhere else? And then we spent six years in Naples, Italy. Wow. It was just a wonderful experience. And now we're part of the Italian family that my former landlords uh, have accepted us into their family. They're very good to us and very good to our children. When we had our adventures and we started looking for other positions and with a working spouse, it's sometimes difficult to find the same town or the same location where she can have a fulfilling job and career and so can I. She applied for a couple of jobs. She was offered one in Bahrain. There wasn't much, frankly, for me in Bahrain. I think that's hit and miss. She also was offered their position here. So then I started looking and found a great position here. And I'm very excited to be back in Bellinopoly. Wow, that's amazing. What is the work you're doing in Naples? What's your assignment? I have come back to the U.S. Navy Commander Naval Forces Europe, Commander Naval Forces Africa, and Sixth Fleet staff on Capodacchino next to the airport in Naples, Italy, where the headquarters does many things including running the Sixth Fleet and all of our integrations with our partners in Africa, which is what my wife will be doing, and all of the partners in Europe, 
And I will be specifically charged with working some of our integrations with NATO. I'll be working some of the foreign policy issues, but also our day-to-day integration with NATO, which is undergoing a sea change right now due to a lot of our competitors in this space, read Russian aggression. NATO has been for years a very reactive organization. They are trying to shift from this long, linear planning process that aligns ships to desired capabilities that are two, three, and five years down the road to a much more responsive to counter and deter throughout the theater. NATO itself is rewriting its own book. I am here to try to help align U.S. Navy Sixth Fleet efforts with NATO's efforts. What's attractive about government service? Why would a Naval Academy alumnus want to transition from active duty to a career in government service? What are the benefits of it? I think the mission continues. There are many people who get out and in some of the transition counseling, they tell you you should decide three things. Are you driven by the location of your second career? Are you driven by the vocation of your second career? Or are you driven purely by money? I was very fortunate. Again, my wife has had a career, did very well in the Navy. We lived within our means. I wasn't necessarily driven by money. So I was lucky I didn't have that. And I will tell you, if you go and take a job with the government, that's a good thing too. (laughs) Because it doesn't pay what a lot of the jobs out in the real civilian world might pay. I was driven by the mission. I loved working with our NATO allies and partners. I think that's a real kind of cool way to put America and what NATO does on display for other people who might really need it. We in America probably don't think we get much value from NATO. Maybe we don't even feel like we need NATO because we're alone on our continent, separated by the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. But what's NATO for? Some of our other NATO allies need us more than we need them. And NATO has kept the peace and security for over 70 years, as well as every time we get something via Amazon Prime and it gets shipped through some waterway somewhere. NATO allies keeping those sea lines of communication open, and that's why it's so cheap. I kind of love sort of proselytizing on all the goodness that NATO can bring to people, to navies, to countries, and really the safety and security that we have guaranteed. I was very passionate about returning to that work. What you're doing in government service, who is it for? Is it for the recently transitioned? Is it also for, say, someone who's been out some extended period of time, or is that person ineligible? The path back is the same. And the path back to government service is exactly the same, whether you were four years enlisted and that was four years ago, or if you were four years enlisted 40 years ago. If you're looking to rejoin the government service, I provide an action checklist and a path to walk yourself down, more so to manage your own expectations and to manage the process of going back into government service. Well, Thomas, I think you nailed it. I think you <laughs> you killed it. You got a great book out there. The book, again, is called A Veteran's Guide to Transition, Active Duty to Government Service. If you are at all thinking about it, if you're at all researching it, Thomas is the canary in the coal mine. He is the cautionary tale. He has done all the work for you, and he has codified it in his easy-to-read, quick-read book available on Amazon as well as Kindle for download. Why would you not? go take advantage of this great guhay. Thomas, how can shipmates reach out to you? How can they get in contact with you over there in Naples? I am very easy to find on Facebook or LinkedIn. I've tried to start a hashtag on LinkedIn, 
AD being active duty, two, TO, GS, government service, AD to GS. And you can write me at AD to GS at gmail.com. Off brand question Do you speak the language? Un poco. Are you fluent in Italian? Il capisco ma parlare male. <laughs> I understand, but I speak poorly. Okay. <laughs> Maybe with more time there, it'll become second nature. I'll let you out on this one. We only met recently, Thomas. I've enjoyed all of our conversations. You tell great stories. There's still a lot I don't know about you. I do know you've enjoyed a fascinating military career with a whole new international government service career ahead of you. Tell me something I don't know. Teach me something new, Thomas. Make me say, is that right? I once served at the White House as a White House social aide for President Clinton when the election occurred and they had the inaugural parade. I was on the reviewing stand with the Bush family and it was bitter cold, maybe two degrees, definitely below freezing. And the young Bush twins, the daughters came to the inaugural as well as George Bush Sr. And I got to meet him and that was wonderful and the whole family. As I was working there at the White House reviewing stand, the Bush twins showed up wearing little tiny Laura Ashley dresses and I'm sure they weren't, freezing their little you-know-what's off. Being the good social aide I am, I went to the back and I found some hot chocolate and I brought them out two cups of hot chocolate. They were forever grateful. But the hot chocolate quickly wore out. And I went in the back and there was no more hot chocolate. And I opened the cupboard underneath thinking there might be more hot chocolate. I'll make some more. As I look underneath, there is a stack of about 10 blue magnets from the boat school with alpha numbers written and crossed out on them. Is that right? And some of the numbers started with an X. Wasn't that like X company you went to before you were processed out if you got kicked out of the Naval Academy? <laughs> No way. I had to pinch myself. There's these wonderful, clean, blue magnets, fuzzy wool blankets. I grab a stack of them and I walk out to the Bush twins and I give them to them. Oh, hugs, kisses. They loved me. I could do no wrong from there on out. You're a hero. Yes. How those blankets ever made it there. That would be a fantastic story to find out. Wow. <laughs> I would love to find that out too. That's a great story. The blue blankets from the Naval Academy that went on your rack that you look forward to get to made their way into presidential history. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy story. Thomas Brain, thank you for coming on the Hey. It was a pleasure to have you. Great stuff. Thanks, William. Really appreciate your time. Go Navy. Meet Army. I want to give another big thank you to my guest today. And thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And more importantly, Tell another shipmate to do likewise. The more shipmates are talking, the more opportunities we will create for each other. For show notes on today's episode, please go to theguhe.com. Until next time, I'm William Jones. Keep chopping wood.